Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's pray. Father, we just uh, come to you today and we just ask that you would speak to us. Your word says that a young man can keep his way pure by living according to your word and that we're to hide your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning. We open our mind to you. We pray, God, that you would open the, the eyes and the ears of our hearts and mind just to receive from your word. We pray that we would grow in the knowledge and in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation this morning as we uh, go through this rest of this chapter. And, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just give anointing and uh, reveal the hidden things in your word to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. We're in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to pick it up. Um, actually, we'll start at verse 14, but just as a little bit, it's been a little while since, it's actually four weeks since we've been in our series in 1 Corinthians, four weeks removed from that. And earlier in this chapter, just a, a quick thing to <clears throat> mention so that we get a sense for where we're going this morning. Paul was warning the Corinthians about compromising with the world, and he was talking about the the issue of the desire and the desire of the heart matters. And he pointed them to the example of Israel that, um, you know, experienced certain rejections and disciplines from the Lord because of uh, their compromise with the world around them and the nations around them. And as we jump back into this text, Paul continues that warning. He says in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved... Flee from idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry is simply this. It's extreme admiration or love for something that takes the place of God. It could be a person. It could be a hobby. It could be any activity. It can be anything that gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, flee from that. And he says in verse 15, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And so as he goes on here, he's going to say, he's going he's to go from this point of view. What I am going to share with you, he says, is not something that's about legalism or about rules or about laws. It's sensible, it's logical, it's wisdom from God. Uh, we went and had some holidays at the end of uh, August there. And in fact, we went over to Victoria and the newlyweds are here this morning. Trevor and Candace Ng, just married for two weeks and they're visiting. Yeah, really nice wedding. And uh, Lisa and I, when we were staying in Victoria, we thought, okay, well, where are we going to stay? Let's stay in Souk. And that was a really bad mistake. Because Souk is a lot further from Victoria than I realized, and traffic in Victoria is much worse than I realized. And so, um, you know, we had a, a good time there, but we spent a lot of time driving back and forth between Souk and Victoria. And so after our time there, we decided we were going to go see some friends in Duncan, and I said, I've had enough of that drive. Let's go the other way. We'll go to Port Renfrew, and then we'll drive across the island through Cowichan Lake, to, to, through to uh, Duncan. And so instead of taking the quick route, 
uh, we took the half-day route, and it was okay because we were on holidays, and it was a rainy day, and we thought, let's do the West Coast Drive and enjoy. And it was, it was a really beautiful, scenic drive, and I'd never done the drive from Renfrew really to Couch and Lake. I don't know if, if you've done that before, but it's quite the road. Like, to call it a highway is, I mean, it's paved and whatever, but it's certainly not a highway. You know, I don't think we exceeded 50 kilometers an hour the whole way on that trip. You know, we were watching for different hazards. There were, you know, many, many one-way bridges. I said, oh, there's probably like 30. My wife said, no way. I said, there was easily 30 one-way bridges. <laughs> you know, there were the signs that said, you know, watch for falling debris, and there were cliffs, and don't stop here, and uh, we went through an area that was still smoldering from forest fires. And it was like, it was a fun, adventurous drive. It's what it was about, being on holidays. And, you know, I was thinking, as we come to this text, you know, in many ways, the Christian life is very similar to that. It's not easy. You know, if you were sold the easy street sales pitch when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you got a false bill of sale. You know that. Following Jesus is not something that's easy. Jesus said the road is narrow. There's dangers along the way. There's treacherous things along the way. Every one of us could slip or fall or, or mess up in some way. And certainly those that live for and follow Jesus Christ are watched closely by other people. Others are watching. Others are observing. And likely, you know, as a follower of Christ, at some point you'll be misunderstood or you'll be criticized by other people. And, you know, when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it's inevitable that questions will rise in your life where you say, well, what do I do here? How do I serve God here? What do I do in this particular situation? And, you know, on the highway from Renfrew to Lake Cowichan, hardly a highway like I said, uh, there were signs along the road. Warning of speed, warning of tight turns, warning of falling debris and this and that. And obstacles, there was actually obstacles on the road that if I wasn't watching, I could have struck them. And so in our journey for Christ, there are kind of regulations, rules, instructions for along the way. God's provided rules for the road. And in the appeal to the Corinthians and for you and I to flee from idolatry, Paul here is going to just share some Guideline principles, some rules for the road. If you break them, it can result in disgrace, disaster in your life, in the lives of others. can even dishonor the name of the Lord Jesus. And so here's the first one, okay? I'm going to give you three regulations, three rules for the road on the highway to heaven. Remember that show? Three rules for the road. The first one is this. Live in separation to God. Paul says this, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. Now as Paul begins to communicate about the need for the church to live lives of separation unto God, he points them to the table of the Lord. We're going to come to the table of the Lord this morning. We've got the emblems here, and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And Paul is saying this. The first 
guiding factor in our behavior as Christians is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. All throughout our study in 1 Corinthians, time after time we have seen this, Paul has pointed us to the solution uh, for all the problems of mankind is always the same. It is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, on the road to Duncan, our starting place was Souk that day. But on the road to heaven, the starting place is Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull where the blood of the precious Lamb of God was spilt for the sin of mankind, shed for my sin. And my fellowship with God, your fellowship with God, in fact, even our fellowship here this morning with one another begins at the table. At the table of the Lord, we remember to celebrate the blood that was shed. We remember to celebrate the body that was broken for our redemption. And apart from the shed blood of Jesus and his broken body, we have no fellowship with God. And we have no fellowship with one another. John said it this way in 1 John 1.3. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, the table of the Lord is the rallying point for the church. It's where we come together and we openly identify with the cross of Christ. The Lord's Supper speaks of Christ's death for us. The Lord's Supper declares the cross and identification with the crucified and risen Lord as our only ground of approach to our Creator, our Maker, our Father in Heaven with whom we have fellowship because of His Son. And by participation in the Lord's Supper, we preach to the world the fact that Jesus Christ has died for the sins of mankind and that His precious blood alone can cleanse us of our sins. The cross of Christ is guiding, the cross of Christ is the guiding principle number one. The cross of Jesus Christ is the first filter for every decision we make. The blood of Jesus Christ is the sieve that strains every action that we take. The body of the, our broken, the broken body of our Lord forms the, the ground rules for which we live. See, Paul says, as you start out and you wonder what direction, it's always this. Start at the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross the blood and body of our Lord. Our loyalty is to the cross. And the cross reminds us that the road is narrow and therefore we must live lives in separation to God. And so we gather regularly at the table of the Lord. We share in the cup of blessing, he says. And in the bread that reminds us that our fellowship is with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. And when we come to the table, not only do we share fellowship with God, but we experience and share fellowship with one another. That's Paul's point. As he's talking about the church relating to the world here, uh, in the born-again life, our fellowship is not with the world. Our fellowship is not even with the lost people of the world. Our fellowship is with Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. 
And from that point, we then relate to the world. And the Corinthians were in this struggle of learning how to relate. Now that they had left the old life and were living for Jesus Christ, how do they relate to the world around them? And I would say this, we have contact with the world. You know, I was excited. One of the places where we love to have contact is through sports with our kids, you know. We had opening day with hockey yesterday, and it was fun to see all these families. I said, this is a point of contact into the community for, for our family, and we have fun. And Paul said, um, you know, we have fellowship with God, and we make contacts in this world. And he said, in, in God's name, we become all things to all men in order that we might win some. But in order that we don't get that kind of confused, that, that whole outreach thing and wondering how we relate to the world, Paul says here, we start with the body and blood of Christ all the time. That is the guiding principle that is the first filter. That is the sieve that strains. That is the ground rule for life and relationships. Because of the body and blood of Jesus, we are called to live in separation unto God. And so Paul, as he begins to talk here, he returns to this familiar discussion early in the letter, one that we, we don't overly relate to in our culture, the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. In the previous discussion, it was back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the question was this, should someone who lives for Jesus and follow Jesus, who follows Jesus eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? And Paul said, what's an idol? It's not real. So he says, so if, you're, if your conscience gives you the, the freedom to eat the meat, then eat the meat. And if you, you know, in your conscience you don't have the freedom to eat it, then don't Eat the meat. And he told us in the case where two such people should sit down together, the one who feels that he has the freedom in the Lord to eat should surrender that freedom out of love for his brother in Christ. And Paul said this, don't let food become a stumbling block between you and your brother. And so he says this in verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Remember, he's talking about the Lord's table. So when you eat, you are a participant. Israel understood that. Israel understood what we experience when we come to the Lord's table because they had similar things in their religious practices. When a Jew offered a peace offering to the Lord at the temple, the sacrifice was made. Part of the offering was burned before the Lord and the smoke would rise to the Lord and the people were able to take and eat a portion of that which was offered of the remaining meat. And they understood that they were having communion with God. They understood in a sense that they were sharing meat together with the Lord. In fact, the word here uh, that, that Paul uses as he talks about uh, participating in fellowship and the Lord's table is the word koinonia. They were having fellowship with God. And so, too, we, as we come to the Lord's table, are acknowledging the work of the cross. We are acknowledging the death and resurrection, or the death of our Lord Jesus, his blood that was shed, his body that was broken. We're participating in the cross when we come to the Lord's table. And so Paul says this in verse 19. 
What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Look, he says this. Food offered to an idol is nothing special. The, the meat came from a cow just like the patties at McDonald's. Not so sure about that. Let me take that back. The meat came from a cow. Not so sure about the patties at McDonald's, but you get the point. An idol is nothing, Paul is saying. But when people sacrifice to idols, they are actually making offerings to demons. The idol itself is nothing, but the demonic power that is behind it is very real. It's idolatry. And the life of the people in Corinth was so mixed up with these practices that it was difficult for them to know where to draw the line. And so Paul says this in verse 21. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? See, in chapter 8, way back when, Paul said it's totally acceptable to eat meat that's been offered to idols. But here he says, you, you can't eat both at the Lord's table and the table of demons. Almost seems like a contradiction, but it's not. The problem was not the meat. The problem was not the cow. You know, the demons didn't perform McDonald's voodoo on the meat. <laughs> It was still meat. The problem was the meeting that had taken place between the people and the demons behind the idols. And though it was permissible to purchase cheap, cheap discounted meat, it was not permissible to participate in idol worship, the idol worship that was happening in pagan temples. And Paul says this, Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You know, that question is a good question. Th that question is directed to the one who believes that they're strong in the faith. Directed to the one who says, hey, I can enjoy freedoms in Christ. To the one who would say, oh, I, I, I can go to this place and I can participate in this and I can participate in that. I can do this on Saturday night and then I can come to the house of God on Sunday morning and partake of the Lord's table. I'm just enjoying freedom in the Lord. And Paul would say this, look, you, you might be stronger than your brother or sister in Christ, but are you stronger than God? And the warning is that it's dangerous to play with sin. It's dangerous to play to, with idolatry, and it's dangerous to tempt God to jealousy. Are we playing with sin? then we need to know this, that God is jealous. You know, not jealous like some insecure boyfriend <laughs> calling on the phone. Not that kind of jealousy. Jealous because he loves you. Jealous because he loves you with a love that is so great that he was not willing that anything would stand in his relationship with you. 
Jealous with such a love that he sent his one and only son to give his life on the cross that he might have relationship with you. His love for us is so great that he's not willing that anything should separate us from him. And when we play with sin, Paul says, we arouse the jealousy of God. He says in verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Familiar verse, probably know that one. And I would say this, you know, it, it's not a matter of where I go or can I do this? Can I exercise this right? Can I have this freedom? The question is this, do I want to hang out with demons? Do I want to arouse the jealousy of God? And the Corinthians, as they had found freedom in Christ, were so focused on their freedom so focused on their rights that they were only asking this one question. Well, what, what's the harm to me? What could really be the harm? Instead of just asking the question, is this good for me? Does this profit my relationship with Jesus Christ? Will this build me up? Will this help me be a blessing to others? Will this glorify Christ? And so Paul is instructing them here, live in separation to God. And a mark of maturity is the, balance, is, is the ability to balance freedom with a sense of responsibility. Live in separation to God. And that brings us to the second guiding principle on the road to heaven. Live sacrificially for others. Paul says in verse 24, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. See, you're not saved only to live for the Lord. You are saved so that you can live for the Lord before other people. Your testimony to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what your life is. Therefore, we live in separation to God and we live sacrificially for others. You know, I would say, I, I love this about Paul because he doesn't oh, stay away from those non-believers. He doesn't say that. This is go. Make contacts. Make friends. Go into the homes of your neighbors. You know, I would encourage you to do that. Go into the homes of your neighbors. How well do you know the people that live right next door to you? Christ has strategically put you on your street, in your place, in this community. Go into the homes of your neighbors. Invite your neighbors into your home. But never for a moment lower the standard of living in separation to God and sacrificially for others. We're ambassadors. We're to be on the king's business. You are to be about the work of the kingdom and uh, there's no vacations in God's kingdom. We live lives of holiness unto God and we make contact with those in the world so as to win them to Christ. And so, you know, Launch into uncharted territory. Go and meet those who don't know Jesus. Never fear. Wherever you go, see it as the place where God has sent you and seek to win people to Christ. And so Paul says this, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So he says, you know, whether meat is purchased in the meat market or eaten in someone's home, meat offered to an idol is no problem. Go ahead and eat. At the butcher shop, go buy what you need to buy, you know. Some of the meat may have been sacrificed to idols. Some of it may not have. And Paul says, if, you're, if you aren't going to partake in the, the atmosphere of the pagan temples, the meat itself doesn't matter. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He actually says, don't even ask. And it won't bother you. For all of the earth belongs to the Lord. But... What if one of the brothers with a weak conscience objects and says, wait a minute, that meat was sacrificed to an idol. Paul's response by quoting Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's saying, you know, the cow belonged to the Lord when it's on the hoof and the cow belongs to the Lord when it's on the barbecue. Amen? On the barbecue. Yes, thank you, Calvin. You see that hand. <laughs> The food wasn't the issue. Idol-worshiping atmosphere was the issue. And so Paul says, go ahead and eat the meat with this exception, verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And so he says, let's say you, you go into the market to buy meat. You're sitting down in someone's home to eat with them. And they make the point of telling you what we're about to eat has been sacrificed to idols. If a person does that, they do so for a reason. Therefore, Paul says, don't partake so that you don't make them stumble. Here, here Paul has in mind the situation where a Christian is warned about food by the, the seller, the butcher, or the, the host of where he's eating. And that person has a sensitive conscience. And they mention that. People mention things like that because they think, well, it's not right for Christians to participate in such things. And so they mention it. And so Paul says, not for your conscience, for theirs, refrain. Refrain. For the sake of conscience. Verse 29. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? You know, we might say, find ourselves in some situation and we say, well, you know, I thank the Lord for that. Why can't I go in and participate? Should I really pass it up? And Paul answers that question in the next verse. He says, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Th that's the third road mark along the highway. Do all to the glory of God. See, you know, the purpose of our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ as Christians is not to see, like, how much we can get away with and still be Christians. How close can I come to the line and still be on the Christian side of the line? The purpose of our lives is to glorify God. The purpose of our lives is to bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we're not to do some things for the glory of ourselves and our name and our reputation. We are to maintain a single-minded purpose and focus, the glory of God, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are many people, many Christians who live their lives in little sealed compartments and they put things into boxes. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. One box for church, one box for family, one box for business, one box for my downtime, my leisure. And it's like a different person comes out each time one of those different boxes is pulled out. At church, you go, wow, look at that. Look at that person worship. I bet they never have an unholy thought. Then they go to work on Monday morning, and any thought of the glory of God leaves their mind until the next Sunday comes, and they live for their own purposes and to make a buck and for whatever it is. They go home, and their temper is totally out of control, and the glory of God doesn't rein anything in in their lives. There was a preacher's wife who said of her husband, when I see him in the pulpit, I think he should never come out of it. And when I see his behavior at home, I think he never should have gone into it. There are many people like that. John Bunyan called them devils at home and angels abroad. I'm reminded of Moses, actually. It makes me think of Moses. Do you remember the story about Moses when he was... Uh, coming into understanding his identity and how God had set him apart. And the scripture says that one day while he was cruising around, he saw an Egyptian slave master beating a, a Jewish slave, an Israelite. And so the Bible tells us that he looks to the right and he looked to the left. And when he saw that no one was looking, he went and he killed that Egyptian slave master and he buried him in the sand. You know when that whole thing went wrong for Moses is when he made this move. Look right, look left, no one's looking. I'll go for it. The mistake that he made was that he never looked up. He never took a directive from the Lord in the midst of what he saw going on. And I would say this, when you catch yourself looking to the right and looking to the left to make sure that no one is looking, that is a point in time when you need to Remember your separation to God through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Live sacrificially for others and live to the glory of God and lift your head and look up. Give the Lord the opportunity to guide you and he'll lead your steps in the right way. And so Paul says in verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You know, it's, think about it, it's actually impossible to live as a Christian and not offend someone. L living as a Christian is very offensive to the world around us, increasingly so, it seems. I actually like how the NIV says this verse. It says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew or Greek or the church of God. 
Paul summarizes the whole world. The Jew, the non-believing Gentile, and the church of God. You know, when I think about Paul, I love his ability to, I, I don't know, I don't know the right way to describe it. He's not a chameleon, but he's able to take off one hat and put on the next hat and go into the, that situation. And then when he goes into the next situation, he was very good at taking off that hat and, and going into this situation and doing that. When he, when he hung out with Jews, he ate the food that was kosher. When he went and he hung out with the Gentiles, he liked his bacon. We like our bacon. Uh, when he hung out with the Christians, he knew how to live a life that, that was consistent for the practices of the church. And you might look at Paul and say, wow, that guy's like totally inconsistent. He's just a chameleon. He just switches wherever he is. But in fact, he is being very consistent. He practiced a life of consistency to the things that we're reading about and teaching on this morning. For those who don't understand Christian principles, yes, it, it appears inconsistent, but Paul was living consistently according to these instructions, kind of like a weather vane. You know, a weather vane points in different directions, but it always correctly reports what the wind is doing. And you know, sometimes as a Christian, you say, well, I'm going to go in this situation, and it will be this way. To the glory of the cross, to live sacrificially for others, to remember the glory of God. And then I go over here, and it looks different, but I'm going to live for the same things. I'm going to remember the cross, I'm going to live sacrificially for others, and I'm going to live for the glory of God. And it can look different based on how you deal with different people in different situations. You know, I mean, let's talk honestly and candidly. There, there are some things that a mature Christian may do in the privacy of his own home that they might not, not do in public. And that's okay, provided that it doesn't harm him or tempt the Lord to jealousy. As Christians, we have freedom. We have liberty. But Paul says... Yet, not everything is helpful. Not everything is beneficial. Let me give you some questions to ask yourself when you find yourselves in one of these situations. Will this lead me to freedom or slavery? Will this make me a stumbling block for someone else or a stepping stone for them to Jesus Christ? Will this build me up or will this tear me down? Will this only please me or will it bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will this help me win the lost or will it turn them away from Jesus? More often than we think, low conduct, low Christian living is connected with having a disregard for lost people. We live low lives of conduct because we don't care that people are separated from God and are going to spend an eternity in hell. And Paul's concern was not seeking his own advantage. His concern was that others would be saved, that his life would be a testimony. 
And so he encouraged the church and he commands, directs us to, to live in separation for God. Can I ask the blessing of Jesus Christ on this action that I'm about to take? Live sacrificially for others. Am I a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Live for the glory of God. Can I do this for the glory of God, whatever it is? And then he says something awesome, just the first verse of chapter 11. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What an amazing thing. You know, I, sometimes I, I read or I hear Christians say, oh, you shouldn't, that's a, you shouldn't say that. You know, follow me as I follow. I think every believer should be able to say exactly what Paul is saying here. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me because I'm seeking to imitate Jesus. See, Christian freedom is the freedom to enjoy all of God's gifts. Christian freedom is the freedom to live for the good of other people. Christian freedom is the freedom to do everything to the glory of God. Work, home, business, family life, leisure time, everything to the glory of God. Christian freedom is the freedom to live to bring others to salvation in Jesus Christ. Christian freedom is the freedom to follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus never settled to walk the line and to live for what was permissible and what was lawful. Jesus always lived for what was helpful and beneficial for other people. Not seeking his own good, but seeking the good of others. He lived with regard for the conscience of other people. He did everything for the praise and honor and glory of his Father who is in heaven. You know, Jesus never caused anyone to stumble. And when we live like him in what we do and what we experience, we have true freedom. Live in separation to God. Live sacrificially for others. Live for the glory of God. This morning, we have the great privilege just to come to the Lord's table. And in doing so, just like I mentioned, we are participating in the cross in that sense, symbolically. We are acknowledging our part, that it was our sin that held Christ there. And we're remembering the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. And as we come to the Lord's table, this is, you know, I was thinking about this text. It really promotes regular, regularly coming to the table of the Lord because there we find fellowship with God and we experience fellowship with one another. Paul Warren in this text, he said, you can't eat at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. And, you know, the practice of coming to the Lord's table, I have to tell you, is for those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You're acknowledging your part. You're acknowledging your role in putting Jesus on the cross that he died for your sins. 
And so with that in mind, I, I would say this to you this morning. If, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I ask that you would just respectfully refrain from coming to the table of the Lord. But I want to give you another option, and it's this. If you recognize that Jesus Christ died for your sin, that God loves you, and through repentance of your sin, asking Jesus to forgive you and turning in faith to him and inviting him to be the Lord of your life, you'll find salvation and hope and life and freedom. If you'd like to do that this morning, then I would invite you to come and participate with us for the first time and come to the table of the Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come.